The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Tech Cat Show with host Lori H. Schwartz. Each week we hear from established leaders in the technology and consumer industry. Finding out the scoop should never be this much fun. Now, here is your host, Lori H. Schwartz. Hello, everybody. This is Lori H. Schwartz, your tech cat. And continuing my worldwide traveling bug of going to conferences uh, throughout the country and now Europe, I just have returned from Web Summit, which was in Lisbon this year um, in early November, where I interviewed a number of technology companies, media companies, brand folks, and anyone who is doing anything um, in the digital marketplace um, in Europe and in the Americas. Web Summit is kind of famous. It's been around for a couple of years, um, usually taking place in Dublin. This is the first time it moved to Lisbon. And in Dublin, it doubled in size. So actually attending this conference, this technology conference, was about 53,000 attendees. Um, and of that representation of attendees, there were about 15,000 different companies um, coming from about 166 countries. And a fun fact, there were about 7,000 CEOs attending the show as well. And it, it really is the, the biggest European um, and Ameri- um, even in America, biggest conference of its kind. Um, part of the conference is to have mini summits inside of it. So they literally took over the, uh, the Lisbon Convention Center and there are about three to four huge halls of startups pitching their technology companies of these mini conferences, which had um, big audiences and panels throughout the days and also exhibitors. Um, and these mini conferences really represent um, a number of different trends in our world right now. So, for instance, they had a content maker uh, summit and they had an auto tech summit a money conference summit, a sports trade summit, one called Talk Robot, which was all about robots, um, AI, bots, and all the things that are happening in that space. So you really had um, any kind of uh, you know conference discussion trend in technology being represented at Web Summit. Web Summit also has a number of uh, other conferences that they do, one called Collision, which is happening in the States um, in the spring in New Orleans, and a few other summits as well that dig in deeper to some of these topics. Um, But what I thought was the most exciting about it, besides the fact that you had these mini summits um, inside of it, was that literally the conference attendees took over Lisbon, and so that anywhere you went on Lisbon, on the subway, in restaurants, uh, whatever you were doing and wherever you were going, you were standing next to someone who inevitably was attending the conference, and they were either a startup, uh, someone representing a media company, 
company, a well-established company, um, you know, Google and uh, a number of other Facebook and a number of other companies that we all know and love were there. And also the attendees are all coming from agencies, brands, uh, you know, all sorts of business verticals were represented there. So it was really a fascinating week of digging into a lot of the trends that are occupying the tech space um, and hearing from a number of people and and what um, is really bubbling up and important. So a lot of these conferences uh, tend to be relevant based on the structure because you learn a lot about trends based on how they've organized the conference. And that was certainly true with Web Summit. So today on the show, I have a number of interviews again with some of the startups and attendees that were attending the conference, and I think you'll find them all really fascinating. And they um, they, they are across the span of topics. Um, I spoke to someone who runs an incubator company, and I also spoke to someone who is working with local artisans to help um, draw people to their artworks in local cities. Um, and I also spoke to um, a, a French company that is helping to drive engagement and business around startups in the Côte d'Azur, in the, in the Cannes area. So very American of me to say it like that. But anyway, um, please enjoy a series of interviews from the Web Summit 2016 this year in Lisbon, Portugal, as the Tech Cat goes on the road again. Lori H. Schwartz here, your tech cat, and I am broadcasting from Lisbon, Portugal, at the fabulous Wed Summit 2016 conference, where there are about 55,000 people attending over the course of three days. And this show features a number of startups and companies all in the digital space. And I'm about to talk to Vanessa Marseille, who is the head of marketing and communications for Team Cote d'Azur. Um, which is basically managing all the startups in the Riviera region of France. Um, sounds like a great job to me. <laughs> Vanessa, tell us about your role. Well, actually, Team Côte d'Azur is the economic development of the uh, agency of the French Riviera. We, um, we, we uh, help companies to settle on the French Riviera, so we meet them abroad or in other regions of France, and we explain them how... Uh, why they should come to the French Riviera and how great it is and all the incentives, incentives and company and startups will receive upon their arrival. Uh, we also work for the French Tech Côte d'Azur, which is the association of the tech entrepreneurs in, uh, on the French Riviera. France has uh, launched a few years ago, I think it was 2013, an initiative to help all the territories in France to gather all the startups and help them to thrive and blossom on their own turf, so in France, and to after be able to bring them to big events such as Web Summit or CS Las Vegas and show the proper technology, French technology. So we are helping our startups. 400 startups on the French Riviera, they raised 144 millions of euros last year. Some of them are here in the Web Summit, so we're helping them 
to promote, to get visibility. Uh, we, um, as a head of marketing and communication, I'm trying to get the best opportunity of visibility for them. So journalists, so we are helping with social media, uh, events. We are getting them free tickets to um, to events on the French Riviera. We have a big event, Trustech in uh, FinTech in December. And um, yeah, some of them wants to go abroad and they are big enough to uh, now raise money and to uh, start new, get into new markets such as US. And uh, we are trying to find ways to have relationship with other countries and other startups so the network is growing. So I was going to ask you that. So is the goal to keep the French companies in France or is the goal also to help them expand and do business in other countries? Now the goal is to help them to expand because a company can survive with only the French market. But what we want is for them to keep either their headquarters or their R&D center. Usually they keep their R&D center at least on the French Riviera because France has the best package for companies. That's why Facebook actually launched, I think last year, their R&D center in Paris because we have something called, a, we have a tax credit called the, um, the SEER, which is which allow you to write off 30% of your expenses, your R&D expenses, and it's the best package in, in the world. So France is very attractive for that reason. And that's why companies that choose usually to keep their R&D center in places such as Sophia Antipolis, our science park, and then to expand in other countries. So we have a company who is actually now expanding to US and has a contract with Century Fox. So a lot of companies are now attacking new markets but they still have a team on the, on the French Riviera somewhere in France. Are there any particular tech trends that you see bubbling up in that region or that France you think will become known for? Like Israel is known for security tech um, and privacy tech, obviously, because of the, the nature of where that uh, you know, technology infrastructure sort of was born. Now, of course, they're expanding into multiple categories, but I'm wondering... Um, is, is there anything that France tech is known for? Well, for France in general, we have like a, the most well-known is Criteo, which has created all the ads you see, like personal ads on your Gmail, for example. So they have created um, all the data around that. For the French Riviera specifically, we are pretty big in uh, health tech and green technology. Uh, nice has positioned itself as a smart city. They are actually uh, the fourth smartest city in the world. They are before Singapore, just after London. Yeah, before Singapore. And um, so we are developing, lots of our startups are developing apps and uh, IoT and things around that. We, um, we are pretty good in IoT as well, thanks to uh, Sofia Antipolis. And we have created a cluster in EdTech, the first one in Europe, on the French Riviera. And we have a lot of startup in small tech as well. We are developing uh, one of the one of the eighth um, uh, one of the most important startup on the French Riviera has been noticed by the French government and is doing an app to help people to be trained and it's called My Coach. So it's about football and uh, Loris. Well, we have a famous footballer who is part of the of the startup as well. So and is is growing like exponentially quite big. And we have also um, Beauty Tech with a company called Phil Green who has an IoT, which is, uh, which is used to allow the cream to penetrate the skin and is now in negotiation with big laboratories to use that for medicine as well. So, so when you think about um, the French culture, 
and then the French startup culture. Is it similar to the U.S. in that you see a lot of um, you know young entrepreneurs coming in? It's a good time in their life because they don't have financial responsibilities. And then generally what happens is often once the company launches and starts doing well, they get replaced by more seasoned executives who are better at running the day-to-day. And then those entrepreneurs go on to start their next thing. Is that a similar pattern of behavior for, for your world? We actually have pretty senior uh, engineers in Sofia Antipolis that are launching quite late startups. So we have senior people who are interested now in startups because they have this idea, they have all the task force, all the engineers, all the talent on the ground and they are now deciding for a, a new path for their life. So we also have lots of students interested and so far the two are like, combined and work quite I don't think there is an age to be an entrepreneur. I think it's like at the moment of your life, it's the right moment to start something for you because you have like you have a, a light bulb moment and you have an idea. Of course, when you are young, it's a really good experience because you don't have an experience in a company, so you can just start and uh, you are full of life and you are not afraid of failure, which is much more difficult when you are more senior. But thanks to Startup Weekend, for example, uh, I've seen a lot of senior going there, finding a team of young people and just, you know, helping them to grow, teaching them, and they just came with an idea and let the, the young one seize the idea and grow the company. So it can work the other way around. Well, that, that is amazing. Well, Vanessa Marcy from Team Cote d'Azur, which I'm so surprised I'm kind of not butchering <laughs> because I don't speak French. But it's been great talking to you and really exciting. And certainly as we're heading into the Consumer Electronics Show where France um, and French startups play such a big role in Eureka Park there, it's great to talk to you. So we'll keep a lookout for French companies here at Web Summit 2016. Your Tech Cat signing out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The key point of contact between consumers and brands is technology. StoryTech, a boutique agency, empowers you to use that tech to deliver your message, engage your customers, and raise the bottom line. How do you track and exploit the trends? How do you stay ahead of industry disruption? And how do you maximize profit from content? From strategy to execution, the answer is StoryTech. Inform, innovate, create. Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com. If you're interested in gaining strategies to be more successful both at work and your personal life, check out Turn the Page with host Hemda Mizrahi. It's all about building new habits and perspectives. The show helps you identify the changes you need to make that align with your values and priorities, and then apply these principles to your career, health, social life, and other areas. These are proven techniques that work. Turn the Page airs live Fridays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. Higher education faces lots of changes. If you are a student, educator, or in the workforce, you'll want to tune into Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Your host, Dave Goldberg, and his guests will explore the innovations that higher education adopts as it reinvents itself. The world of higher education is constantly changing. Stay on top and stay ahead of the rest. Big Beacon Radio. 
transforming higher education. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. This is the Tech Cat Show with Lori H. Schwartz. If you want to find out more about our show or to leave a comment or question, send an email to lori at techcat.tv. That's lori at techcat.tv. Lori H. Schwartz here, your Tech Cat, and we are broadcasting live from the show floor of Web Summit 2016. And I'm here talking to Tan Cabra from LaunchBite, who is a reverse incubator which I love that idea. So can you explain what that means? So uh, a reverse incubator, you know, what we did was we, we took away from the traditional incubator model where they give a startup cash, uh, an office space, and, you know, a little bit of guidance here and there. But, you know, what, uh, what a startup's first instinct to do when they have a little bit of money to launch their idea is to spread that money out as thin as possible, uh, which results in the different departments that they need to run a business properly getting only 50% of the way. You know, if suppose a startup starts with 50000 they should be spending a majority of that on their product development. But they'll spend, you know, 10000 here, 10000 there, resulting in an incomplete product and resulting in a rush back to plead for more money eventually from the initial investors. So actually what we do, we've, what we do is uh, we've curated a tech team uh, over the last two years, ex-Silicon Valley engineers, you know, ex-space engineers, where... You know, we actually have the team. They've worked on hundreds of projects before. So the startups that we work with can be sure that they're getting 110%. And in exchange for that, we take a minor cash involvement so the companies can still preserve their cash flow. But, uh, you know, they are, they're having their product built in exchange for an equity stake. And, you know, something when they say, you know, what, what's, what makes you different from another development shop is since we're not making money and we're actually losing money to the, towards the investment, for equity, we can be sure that the product we build is 110% what you're looking for to ensure a return down the line. And, and so your payout is much later? Uh, yeah, we've seen payouts in as quick as six months. Uh, and, you know, some payouts we're still, we're still kind of yeah. running with. Um, you know, what we see is an initial uh, initial take of 4.5% to join the incubator. But, uh, you know, our companies that have been with us for over a year and a half now have slowly increased that amount up to about a 9 or 10% range. But, you know, in that time, we've helped them uh, fundraise. We've helped them with legal matters. Uh, you know, we have in, in-house attorneys, dev staff, marketing. So a lot of the... A lot of the trial and error that costs companies thousands of dollars is done was done by us in the previous years, and now we're here to kind of guide people in the right direction instead of letting them run free with cash. So what I like about that is you're more or less a startup uh, agency in a, in a way because uh, I, I was telling your colleague Jordan that uh, in LA a lot of the incubators have fallen away because it seems to be a model that wasn't quite working. Or the accelerator model wasn't working. So I wonder if you have any comment on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, to, to speak to the accelerator market and not really working out well, it's, it's basically 
a venture capital firm because they they have raised money from LPs that they're putting directly into startups, and it's not possible for you know one group of people to manage 70 portfolio companies in a row. That's why we only work with maximum seven portfolio companies at a time. So we can maximize our team of 27 to effectively, uh, you know, assist in every way that we can. We give, uh, you know, we try to give an eight hour work day to every single company when they need it. You know, one day we could be on the floor uh, in, in VEDEX gear and the next day we could be on the floor in a completely different company's gear, you know, being an extension of their team. And it's, you know, I think one thing that's an accelerator is not just cash that that's called an investor and you know to accelerate a company you need to be hands-on you need to be actively making connections you need to be actively checking their product to see if there's room for improvement uh, you know and that's something that we take pride in that we've done and you know I, b- I believe the companies that we've worked with as well will uh, can attest to that so, so um, right now at, um, on the floor here at Web Summit, you're standing at a booth called VEDEX. So that's one of your companies, and you're representing them here, or are they also here? So actually, VEDEX is another one of mine that um, used some resources from the incubator, but uh, upon securing a round of funding of $600,000, uh, kind of branched out and is now uh, you know, looking towards raising the Series A round, uh, almost at break-even point, significant traction in the veterinary B2C and B2B space. Uh, but yeah, you know, we, we again, the, the team helps out where we can. We're always on the floor uh, and making sure that every startup that we work with is, gets 110%. That's great. Well, Tan and Jordan, thank you so much for talking to us about LaunchBite and sort of your unique model around helping to incubate startups. And I look forward to seeing what other wonderful companies you sort of light up in your, in your world. Lori H. Schwartz, your tech cat here, reporting live from the Web Summit 2016 floor. And I'm here with Susanna Sarasulu from College Mapper. And Susanna is a serial entrepreneur, and this is your second startup you were telling me. So tell us all about College Mapper. Hi, thank you, Lori. It's so exciting to be here in Lisbon. Um, okay, so College Mapper, we are based in Seattle. This is my second startup, and Okay, so long story short, what we do is help students determine where they want to go to university and then walk them through the process of selecting those universities, applying to the universities. So um, I think it's, it's um, preparing for selecting and applying to is really the nuts and bolts of the, the app. But the mission of the company is really to serve underserved students, so low-income students, first-generation college attendees. So I'm the first person from my family to go to university, and I really, truly believe and have experienced that education is the most direct way to break the poverty cycle. And so um, I built College Mapper as an extension of that, really, as, as a dream and a vision to get as many kids who want to go to university, um, get them there as possible. And so I, I don't think university is for everybody. It, it, in this day and age, is for more people and perhaps even most people in this job market. Um, I, I believe that. I know that's a contentious debate, but I do believe that. And so um, this, is, this is my dream, really, to, to reach out to all the kids in, in America and even possibly around the world, you know, although it's, it's a bit pricey to come to school in America. Well, so what problem are you solving for? Because I, I know this is a long time ago, but when I was applying, you just kind of look at 
all the universities that you want to go to. And obviously, if there's financial challenges, you're looking more at scholarships and things like that. So is your app um, helping you decide what you can afford? Is that the friction point? That is certainly part of the service, absolutely part of the service, because for that demographic, that is what it... If not the primary concerns, it's in the top two or three. And so absolutely, like, the cost of the university is really important. But I think it's important, too, for those kids to understand the timeline and the deadlines and the minimum requirements and to understand those things as soon as possible um, because they, they don't come from college-educated homes. They don't have that culture behind them that is setting those expectations and sort of just a priori instilling within them with their breakfast cereal like these are things you need to do and this is when so we're trying to tell them these are things you need to do this is when these are the options that you have given whatever parameters are are on the table for you and for them for most of these kids that cost is certainly one of them distance is one but what's true about American universities is if you're willing to cast the net a bit farther afield you can get a full ride or ex- extremely attractive financial aid if you are you know a really high achieving student or a first gen or a, a specific minority so you, you just have to figure it out and, and that's what you're saying your your app is doing so when does someone jump into your app right now we're working with juniors and seniors and then we'll peel that back to sophomores and then to freshmen um, year after year on year so um, right now, seniors and juniors. Cool. And, what, and what's the business model for you? I mean, everybody is a business person at heart. How do you make a living? Yeah, it's a pay app. It's a very low-cost pay app because uh, my first startup, we really tried to do the free model and um, just really learned a lot from that. And so this is my second startup, and this will be a slight pay app because we have tested the market enough to know that if the kids make some small investment, even $3 or $5, they're, they're just more likely to value something, and they can typically come up with that amount of an investment. So it will be a pay app with premium upgrades. What, what I know you, um, you had mentioned to me when I ran into you, um, not literally ran into you, but ran into you, that you learned a lot from your first startup. What are, what are some of the key things that you learned from that experience? Wow. Um, some of the key learnings from the first startup. That was a question I was not expecting to answer today. I think um, hiring is really important. The power of a great team. Is, is supremely important. The um, importance of cultivating a positive company culture is really important. Having a mission that everybody can believe in and that everybody can get behind, I found, was, was very helpful on uh, the first iteration of College Mapper. And I, I think when your team knows that they're doing some good in the world and they're waking up every day thinking, I'm really helping people, that that, that takes a company quite a long way. Um, I think what I'm totally doing differently on this second one is being less idealistic and and really just looking at the numbers first and the money first. And um, my my very favorite and most dear business mentor of all time taught me, you have to do well before you can do good. And so I think my objective first out of the gate this time is to make money, not to profit, but to make money to make the app sustainable. Because then I know, I have learned, that we can really do good work in society and help as many people as possible. Right. So if you make a successful business, then you can achieve the bigger goals that that you're setting out for. And have you found a lot of women entrepreneurs that I talk to do run into challenges raising money? Um, That seems to be still part of this, uh, you know, male culture, especially in Silicon Valley. Is that 
true for you or is that just something you've heard but not experienced? You know, that has not been true for me. And I'm, I'm happy to say that I'm, if I'm an exception, I'm happy to be one. Very lucky. Uh, the Seattle culture where I live is really conducive to entrepreneurship. We have an amazing angel community. Um, seed money is there. Angel money is there. VC money is there. Our community is so supportive. And I found that support on all three levels. And I didn't even get to the VC investment level. But I have VC friends and, and still receive VC support for my vision. And so um, Seattle is just really conducive and, and supportive. Is that because of Amazon and Microsoft? Or what's making it such a hotbed for, for support? I think that's certainly part of it. I think that's in our DNA up there in the Pacific Northwest. We have so much innovation, and, and people are really willing to hear your crazy ideas. And then they say, like, well, go out there and do it. Make it happen. And, and I think a lot of people have done very well at, at our big anchor companies in, in our city. And, and those people are keen to help others do well, to lift other people up and to hear the next great idea and to support the next crazy idea. And so we just have, because, perhaps it is because we have so many wonderful industries that have done so well and for our people that our people are giving back and that I find our community is, is just very supportive. Did you think that um, when you were first just going out into the world that you were going to be an entrepreneur or were you thinking I'm going to get a gig somewhere and just bang on that? Uh, not at all. I, I never thought I would be an entrepreneur. In the fourth grade, I knew I wanted to be a school teacher. And so I um, went to university at Ohio State. I'm born and raised in Ohio. Go Bucks. And uh, I was a school teacher right out of college, right out of university, and um, did some, some extra work at Harvard, a little bit of work at Oxford. And, and I, I think the entrepreneur piece really came about while I was school teaching because I wanted to help kids get to university. I was so passionate about that that I started doing that after school. And then once I had made that business successful, and I didn't realize I was an entrepreneur until, you know, you're thick in it and you're just doing it and you're making it. But then when I, once I realized, oh, I am helping these kids get to school and I've built this practice and it's, you know, thankfully it's doing really well, now I want to give back. Now I want to get out there and find the kid who could never afford a consultant, the kid who could never, never even fathom that there are people like me out there with this kind of knowledge who can help you get to university, who can help you just blow your life open and make your dreams really come true. And so that's really the purpose behind this app is, is to get out there via technology. All the kids have a phone in their hands and in their pocket and find these kids and say, hey, kid, what's your dream? Let's make it happen. Awesome. Well, we have been talking with Susanna, um, Sarah, Sarah Sulu, Sarah Sulu, <laughs> um, from uh, College Mapper, um, an entrepreneur here at Web Summit. Just some here to learn as much as possible. And um, as you were saying to me, we were we're actually in the Women in Tech Lounge um, for just some camaraderie. Rodership is that the right? camaraderie <laughs> to learn more about some other companies doing interesting things here and and just last question um because this is another thing that keeps coming up when i talk to people in silicon valley have you found that a lot of entrepreneurs end up bringing in senior leadership to eventually run the company after they've lit it up that's a stereotype but is that true as well in seattle have you seen that a lot i think it depends on on the board because a decision at that level tends to be a board decision and um, so I, I would encourage entrepreneurs to, to you, you know, your company becomes a part of your DNA and don't ever let up on that. And you're going to work, you know, just crazy hour weeks, like over 100 hours a week easily and, and, and don't let up and be ready for that. And, 
if it comes to pass that your board wants to step in and take control of the company, I think you need to honor your your feelings, your reactions, and your thoughts about that. And if you have questions or hesitations or thoughts or, or even oppositions, I really think you need to honor that and stand up for yourself because that is your company. That is your dream. And you need to fight if you don't agree with the direction that people are taking it in. You, you know, it's a difficult position to be in as an entrepreneur because you need to respect the people who've got you to where you are. And so it is really a bit of a tricky spot to be in. Um, but I do just want to say to the entrepreneurs out there, like, show all the respect that you possibly can, but you need to follow your gut because you're the guy with the dream and that dream was given to you and those directions are going to come to you and you're the guy who's going to steer that ship safely out of the rocky waters. And I think you need to make everybody believe that and then you need to make yourself believe it first and then you need to do it. Oh, Susanna from College Mapper laying it out. <laughs> I love it. Here at Web Summit 2016. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The key point of contact between consumers and brands is technology. StoryTech, a boutique agency, empowers you to use that tech to deliver your message, engage your customers, and raise the bottom line. How do you track and exploit the trends? How do you stay ahead of industry disruption? And how do you maximize profit from content? From strategy to execution, the answer is StoryTech. Inform. Innovate. Create. Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com. Trends in global business are changing all the time. It used to only be worrying about your competitor across the street, but now that competitor may be across the world. On Global Business with Mahesh Joshi, we discuss the trends in global business, plus issues and solutions that business leaders face today. Each show is guaranteed to teach you something that you didn't know before about global Listen live every Wednesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. This is the Tech Cat Show with Lori H. Schwartz. If you want to find out more about our show or to leave a comment or question, send an email to lori at techcat.tv. That's lori at techcat.tv. Hi, everyone. Lori H. Schwartz, your Tech Cat, and we are broadcasting live from the floor of Web Summit 2016, and I'm here talking to Huda Bij 
from B-Sherry, who's going to talk to us about a really interesting model around sharing local artisans for a travel experience, which is uh, basically a great way to enhance your trip by finding local artisans. But um, why don't you tell us about it? Uh, hi everyone, so yeah, we created Bishery, and Bishery it's an innovative way to uh, promote craftsmanship, and we built a bridge, a natural bridge between craftsmen and tourism. So you can go on bishery.com and you can uh, uh, meet uh, a local craftsman and discover for free an activities with uh, with him. So you have a lot of activities, you have all maker, winemaker and stuff like that, and in second part, you have, uh, we launch in February a shop shop.bichery where you can buy uh, the product of craftsmen and producer so uh, you you can buy the product and meet the craftsmen so cool uh, and one of the things you and I were talking about um, was taking this idea this bichery idea and and using it as an API and going around to other countries and layering it on top so that any city you go to, you can be connected to local artisans. So that's part of your bigger plan? Yeah, it's a part of our plan for next year. So now we are only in France, especially in French Riviera, where we, ho- we hope to grow up faster and uh, in France, in Europe, and all around the world uh, very soon. And is the idea that the local artisans, do they pay a fee to belong to your platform or you just get them on the platform and all they need to do is be available when people want to come by and leverage them? Uh, the craftsman uh, uh, create his profile and define, uh, he defines the moment where he is available. So uh, the activities appear only when the craftsman is available for that. That's great. And, and your, your, your business model is what? When do you make money? Uh, we do money in uh, two ways. The first way, when you want to connect uh, with the craftsmen, it's free. But you have to, 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 to see a little uh, publicity. So it's very little and you, you see that to enjoy a free activities. So it's a good, a good deal. And in second part, uh, on Bichery, uh, Bichery Shop, uh, we, we take a little commission uh, from, the, from the, the shop. Yeah. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Hudi Bish, talking to you from Bichery here at Web Summit 2016. Lori H. Schwartz, your tech cat here, and it is day two of Web Summit, and I am in the e-commerce pavilion uh, talking to a number of startups who are working in e-com, and I'm standing next to Eric Holman, and he has a solution called Milo, which is an e-commerce ecosystem. Eric, tell us all about Milo. All right, so Milo is a smartphone sales platform. What we basically do is we provide um, communities of independent salespeople with a platform that integrates endless inventory, financing, and delivery so that people who are face-to-face independent freelancers that sell smartphones can actually augment their sales with the tools that we provide, online tools and and whatnot. Can you give me an example of how this would work? I have a product I'm trying to sell. We specifically focus on, on smartphones because 
you know, there is a 20% growth in emerging markets uh, year by year. So the idea is right now, uh, independent sales guys, they have to invest in inventory to provide it. They don't have financing to cli- uh, for, for their clients. And they have to, they only cover a limited area because they can't send the products or deliver them. So basically what we do is, in that sense, we let that independent sales guy in our platform. We interview them to make sure that they have the competencies that, and it's actually going to work in our platform. And then we provide them with all the tools. We give them the access to the inventory. The person goes and sells to that client, whether it be online or whether it be face-to-face. That, that person inputs the, the information in our application. We call the, the fintech company calls them to do a quick interview process, and in 20 minutes, they have approval. So this, And they receive the phone the next day. So at the end of the day, that should result in a 30% increment in sales for uh, independent sales guys. And is this a global platform, or you're from Panama? Is it only in Panama right now? We're focusing on emerging markets because the penetration growth year by year is just exponential. Uh, so, and obviously the finance is limited and there's a 70% unbanked uh, population. So right now we're focusing in Latin America, but we uh, are hoping to expand to Africa and, and India. And is it primarily an Android marketplace for the phones? Right now the application is uh, Android and we're going to have a, an iOS also uh, version. But in terms of the product itself, people aren't really selling iPhones and emerging Oh, yeah. Oh, oh they yeah, are. they are. I, I always heard it was an Android world. It is an Android world. Uh, actually, it, there's around 60 to 65% of market share for Android. But there's, you know, iPhone is iPhone and people still want it. It's an aspirational brand, Apple. But uh, the problem with it is that it, it is very expensive, so they need the financing to acquire the phones. Right now, with the new release of the iPhone 7, we were one of the first ones to sell it in our countries. Uh, and uh, obviously, we're getting more sales of the iPhone 7 Plus because the 7, the normal one, is just very similar to the older version. Now, do you see eventually expanding out to other solutions besides phones, like other products? Well, it's funny that you ask that because right now, we've gotten by being in this booth, we've gotten a lot of requests for other products and actually white labeling the solution, the platform to sell other things. Uh, we got people from Europe that have their own products that see the value in creating communities of salespeople and just providing as a platform. So yeah, we would we definitely see the opportunity. That's great. So a result of your presence at Web Summit is that this may become Milo may become an API for e-commerce ecosystem. Yes. Yes. Uh, the, sorry. Yes, the idea is that it, it, it can evolve to be an API because, in, in essence, we integrate all the components to promote the sales and to allow those, uh, the communities of sales guys to, to push those products or to provide those products. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Eric Holman from Milo, telling us about the future of e-commerce. Um, and I, maybe I'll end up buying a, another phone from you guys. Well, thank you so much, Lori. Great to meet you. Lori H. Schwartz here, your tech cat, and we are broadcasting live on the show floor of Web Summit. And I'm here with Dan Bertie of Bitdefender. Um, and I know that what comes up a lot for people is security. And especially in a world of Internet of Things, when everything is connected, how do you protect all of those devices? So I understand that's what Bitdefender is doing. 
That's correct. Hi, Lori. Uh, hi, everyone. Um, so, one of the one of the one of the more one of the more important distinctions when we talk IoT is you and I. We talk IoT, and we know what it means for everyone else. That means a smart home, and that's what they really relate to. So, um, what most people don't understand is that they do live in a smart home, and when they think about security, uh, they need to include the newest devices they usually get. That usually. That, that normally don't get the same level of protection and care that the old ones do, like your Mac, your PC, where you're used to buying security software for and so on. And the perils about these new devices are not necessarily related to the fact that hackers are going to funnel with your uh, light bulb and just like trying to turn it off or on. Or that's it, may, it had happened in the past, but that's not really what they're after. But the problem with these devices is they're actually microcomputers. They have a lot of processing power and they can be uh, th this power can be harnessed to um, use against other computers like these botnet farms and so on and so forth. And then furthermore, one of the other problems that may arise from this is the fact that um, uh, these devices are used for um, harvesting personal information. Anything from credentials to banking, you know, all the private stuff that you don't want other people uh, to have access to. Now, what we do in this case is we've expanded our classic line of products, which used to take care primarily only of, just primarily of, uh, take care of uh, PCs and Macs and Android devices. Now, we expanded all that with Box to all the new devices that come out there, basically by situating ourselves on the network with a new product called Bitdefender Box. So that sits on the network next to your router, and they work together to prevent uh, uh, the bad guys from attacking your newer devices everybody's going to get for Christmas. So, in, in my house, I have a couple of Amazon Alexas, because I'm obsessed with Alexa, and I'm um, and we're just starting to think about switching out the light bulbs and, you know, uh, working on the door lock and all of that. So you're saying that your box would now protect those solutions from hacking? Correct. So I am a big fan of Alexa myself. There's no real reason to doubt Alexa or Amazon as they're doing a pretty good job securing their products. But as we multiply the devices in our households, um, it's it's harder and harder to know which which devices are properly um, uh, programmed in terms of security, which are not. So what Box can do, if it won't be able to block a hacker from hacking your Alexa, for example, what Box may be able to tell you is if that particular device has what we call CVEs, common vulnerabilities. So what that might mean is weak passcodes, maybe missing an update, a patch, or other kinds of... Um, um, problems that may help other um, the bad guys basically get into these devices and compromise them. So it will tell you, hey, that particular new light bulb you just bought is susceptible to being attacked by a bad guy. So you can make an informed decision to remove it or inform the manufacturer, tell us. And uh, yeah, so we're also working on technologies to prevent, uh, to actually fix, to plug these holes in these devices. We're announce that soon. So um, is it a software dashboard or how, how does it actually work? So you install a box in, uh, in the home using, you know, connecting it to your router as a physical object, but then you control it using a mobile application on either your iPhone or your Android device. And it's really simple because it's, it's there where you want it to be. You know, stuff happens with your family when you're not at home. You can't be there all the time to hit refresh or click scan. So this is in your pocket. You're probably shopping or, you know, filling up your gas tank. And you get a notification that your kid's fine. We blocked something that may have affected their uh, computer. So it's, it's really convenient. 
That's great. And is it available now for people? It is available in the United States um, on our website at bitdefender.com slash box. And you can also get it in fries. Um, it's... It's available for uh, $129, and it includes a year of service. Uh, it's, a, it's an offer, so you, I, I would take advantage of that. <laughs> well, and I like that you, uh, you're talking about the service level, because the problem right now with IoT is it's so many different companies, so many different protocols, Correct. and people also don't know which main router-like device to use to manage everything else. So it's very confusing right now if you pick a series of protocols, which is the main protocol to manage. So your device sort of sits outside of all of that, allowing security for whatever branches you go down. So we, we know we, we know that um, we know that the common denominator for most of the connected devices is Wi-Fi or your your, your gateway at home that you, you probably got from your carrier or something you opted for yourself. So we are we situate ourselves next to that route and we work with it um, so to be at the network level. There's protocols that we don't support but they end up in the same router as a connection so we also work there um, and um, I think yeah, you answered the question. <laughs> yeah, okay. There was something else that I wanted to add. Uh, um, uh, and do you see growing growing this solution out further as more and more devices get added into the mix, like connected cars, which will be huge in the coming future, and other places where your data is going to live? We're absolutely looking at the connected cars and the new technologies. In fact, Box was created as a research and development project, and it's spun out of the same curiosity as how we can expand security to new devices that don't have a common OS or a really known OS and 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 our like our goal is to try to be there ahead of of uh, ahead of the hackers in trying to attack these new devices that come out that people just don't invest enough in securing. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Dan Birdie from Bit Defender, helping to chart the future of security for the Internet of Things, which I love, and I haven't heard. Um, anyone really talking about that and people are constantly asking so I think you're going to have a lot of success thank you so much thank you thank you so much Larry Lori H. Schwartz here, and we are now on day two of the Web Summit, and I am about to talk to David Schneider, who is a very well-known British comedian, actor, director, and has also launched his own creative agency called That Lot, which is all about the Internet and this crazy social media world that we're in. So, David, tell us about That Lot. Well, yeah, so um, that lot, I could say partially that it's to, it was to justify all the time that I wasted online, on Twitter, um, to my family and friends. Um, but what it is, is that I sort of, I, I, I am an actor, writer, director, and I'd been drifting into, you know, I'd sort of written and directed some traditional advertising, so uh, television advertising. Uh, and at the same time as being uh, wasting all my life just watching it flow away uh, on the uh, on the internet on Twitter in particular and Facebook what have you do, um, doing jokes doing little puns pictures what have you and I thought I could see that brands were doing social media really badly and I got together with a guy who's who was at that point a professional tweeter I think he was one of two professional tweeters in the UK at that time. Twitter was quite quite uh, young. So we got together and so now we have this company that's growing very quickly because what we do is provide original 
very humorous or human content um, for social media for brands and businesses and TV shows and they need it you know they we because we don't talk to people in the real world and only talk to people on the internet we're experts and so so what I've what's ended up happening is a lot of my work now is not so much writing scripts for TV or for films which although I do do that as well still but it is writing for social media so are you uh, aggregating other comedians and writers as well and bringing them to your agency to take assignments? Is that something that you've learned since you're you know, a professional comedian? Yeah, that, that is one of the things that we do. So uh, it, it may be comedians, comedy writers, it may be designers, it may be videographers, people who, um, people who, who animators, whatever, um, people that we see doing work out there. And that's, that's the really exciting thing about the company. Some of them, yes, are professional and they've been uh, videographers, for, videographers for years. But there's also like some of the people who work for us uh, aren't comedians or comedy writers they're just people who were funny who i saw on twitter like there's one in particular who does a lot of writing for us she's now sort of as, as full-time as she can be considering she's a, a mum of young kids actually and that's what she was she was a, she is she was a mum who 10 years ago would have had no outlet for her creativity but we spotted her and we used her and uh, away you go really um do you find that um social media and Twitter in particular gets a pretty bad rap in the U.S. in terms of revenue and things like that. Are you seeing Twitter still have relevance in the U.K. and in Europe? Yeah, I think I think Twitter, everyone's obsessed with uh, user numbers and share price and stuff. Um, but it's also about the quality of the user and the, in, and the influencers. So a lot of influencers uh, live on Twitter, obviously, you know, so there is that. But, but there's no doubt that a lot of our work now is Snapchat and Instagram facebook of course um so i think these these platforms you know everyone's chasing the millennials that's they live on snapchat snapchat is looking for um uh you know for for more brand invested content um so yes yeah, so instead of writing uh uh content for people who i'm old enough to be their parents i'm now writing it for people i'm old enough to be their grandparents almost uh, so it's the so i think twitter still has a place but it's a part uh, for us we're doing a lot more on other platforms as well now, it sounds to me like you're, you've become an influencer agency where you're gathering influencers around, you're having them create great content, and you're engaging brands, you know, um, brand enthusiasts are gathering around that content. Are you also building a tech platform? Because a lot of these influencer agencies are building proprietary social media platforms to sort of be able to really measure the data. Yeah, I mean... We, it's on the agenda. The, the, the problem is we're growing so quickly that we keep saying, yeah, right, let's get together and let's talk about how we're going to have our own um, tech platform. Um, um, at the moment, we use a lot of other platforms for our data input and the technical side. Um, but, um, yeah, it, I think as soon as we get uh, two hours in our schedule, then we'll sit down and we'll build a world record-breaking platform. But it's, it, it is really... And like this, what I think is, I think of a startup that suddenly grows very quickly. That we're, we're, you know, we're always very, very busy. Thanks so much for listening to the Tech Cat Show. Please join Lori H. Schwartz again for another great program next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel and syndicated to the Voice America Women's Channel.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 